Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast, the show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Kramer, and today we are joined by our very special guest, Savannah Arroyo, to talk about her first indication and the lessons learned getting started. Savannah, the net worth nurse, is a full-time registered nurse in Los Angeles, California. She uses her skills as a leader in healthcare operations to manage multifamily syndications. She also helps busy medical professionals create passive income through real estate investing. Welcome to the show, Savannah. Hi, thank you. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on and kind of just dive into your story of your first syndication while being a registered nurse, working the W-2 and all the craziness that comes with both ends of the spectrum. So before we kind of dive in there, why don't you give a little bit of a background about yourself and how you even got started in the real estate world? Yes, I am from Northern California. I'm from Sacramento. I grew up there. I went to Sacramento State University. I got my nursing degree and my nursing license. I worked in a couple different specialties within nursing and within healthcare. And shortly after, went back to get my master's in nursing leadership and administration. Right. Um, Then I moved down to Los Angeles, California. Right now, I oversee multiple departments in a hospital down here in L.A., When I was on maternity leave with my second daughter, my husband and I were looking into different ways that we can accumulate wealth through different investments, um, non-traditional, non-stock and and 401k type deals. And we stumbled upon real estate and I got bit by the real estate bug pretty hard. I just started listening to every podcast I could. I was learning new concepts with money and creating wealth and financial freedom and got, we were just very stoked on what kind of opportunities it could provide for our life. And we sat down, got very specific on our why and why we wanted to do it and some goals that we had revolving around real estate. And Originally, we got invested in single family homes and we were doing that. And then shortly after, we were looking to scale the business and create something more sustainable and scalable. And we stumbled upon uh, multifamily. And since then, we've been investing in multifamily. Awesome. And I know that multifamily is your guys' main focus now. I do want to take it back a step. As you mentioned before, you started with single family. Still a nurse. You still are a nurse. I kind of want to take it back and I want you to tell the listeners what got you into that first single family? You know, what was it five years ago? How long ago? And the transformation from just the education stage to actually putting your hard work and knowledge and buying that first deal. Yes. So this all happened just a little bit over a year ago. It was sort of revolved around New Year's 2020. And um, we, I, I stumbled upon bigger pockets, was learning about a bunch of different strategies. Uh, they were talking about the Burr strategy a lot. Um, so if anyone doesn't know, that's where you buy a property um, below market value, usually for, for pretty cheap, and then you renovate it. So then you're pushing equity into it. Um, and then you're renting it out, getting a renter in place so that you're getting some cash flow. You refinance it um, so that the goal is to 
pull out all that equity that you invested in the deal originally, pull it back out through refinance because you've pushed so much equity into that property at this point, and then you repeat it. So this was a way that you could scale with a fixed amount of capital and you could just kind of roll it over and keep building and building. And this really appealed to us because we did have a limited source of capital. Um, we're in Los Angeles, California, so it was a little bit difficult to make this work with a limited amount of capital. So we were looking in different markets. There are people that use the Burr strategy across the country or out of state, and we felt that that was something we could manage. So we were looking originally over in Atlanta, Georgia. We There was a lot of different markets we were looking at, well, probably like three to five, and that one just felt really good to us. There was a lot of opportunity over there. We created a good team of brokers that were sending us deals, property managers that were interested in overseeing this. And um, after we were digging a bit more into it, looking at properties and with the bird deals, you're doing a full renovation, complete right. renovation. And if something goes wrong at this renovation, you could potentially like blow that capital source <laughs> and not pull it out. And it was just, the more we were researching it, we were like, okay, I don't think this is how we want to get started. We work full time, although there's people making it work and I'm, I'm definitely not knocking it. It was just our comfort level. I mean, there's right. so many different strategies in real estate. It was like, okay, we wanted to kind of do something different. And after doing research of that for a few months, we decided we want to buy, buy, um, new build townhomes over there. And it was just really um, their cash flowing assets. We were able to get in at 15% down on a couple of them, um, made our money stretch that way. And these are kind of with a buy and hold strategy. So we bought them in an appreciating area, which um, you don't want to always bank on appreciation when investing in real estate, but it is right. a factor over in Georgia. We see it here in California all the time. So it's very real and right. a part of our investment strategy. So we invested in those. Um, and, and those are doing great, but they're very easy. They're kind of, we, we don't pay a lot of attention to them because they're kind of self-sufficient at this point, they're brand new. And we have a great property management team that's taking care of those. Great. Um, and then we, we switched into multifamily. Great. So you did your thing, long distance investing from California to Georgia. I couldn't, I can't imagine that being easy. I mean, tons of challenges, I'm sure, especially, you know, even thinking about that renovation route, that's a, no, that's a whole nother headache. When you're, mm -hmm. when you live close to the property and then, you know, you think about across the country, that's pretty awesome. So you built up um, a nice portfolio of the townhouses, smaller units. And what was that turning point that said, you know, multifamily syndication, that's where it's at. Yeah, really the scalability. We were, we, we bought those and we felt good about them and they were good investments, but then we just started researching, okay, how can you scale a business? What, what are ways that you can accumulate more properties with a limited amount of capital? Because now we had our capital invested in this, um, these properties. So it took researching more about um, different business strategies. And then that's when we stumbled upon syndications and using a bunch of investors capital pooled together to buy a larger property. And that concept of kind of working as a team and working closely with other investors to take down a big deal really appealed to us. And then also researching how to tap into other sources of capital. I mean, we ended up pulling out a second mortgage on our house at a very low interest rate to invest in properties that are giving us higher returns. So no brainer on that. It took working with an amazing lender to kind of teach us that strategy. Yeah. And then also under the CARES Act with everything going on with COVID, we had the opportunity to pull from our retirement to then invest that capital into more real estate. So um, just digging and educating ourselves on different 
ways to make it work instead of kind of using excuses of, well, we ran out of capital. We just got to yeah. wait until we accumulate more until we buy our next property. We we're like, okay, well, what can we do now in our situation to continue to buy more properties? And that was um, tapping into more capital um, through different resources. And then also approaching syndications with like a team sport feel. Right. Absolutely. And, and getting creative with it. You know, you run out of money for one thing, but there's still something you can do to propel forward. So that's great that you found that real quick. I don't know if you mentioned why the residential, the apartment, the, the single family, why not office space or, or mobile homes? What will pull you to the residential side? Um, I think really the, the safety part of the asset, um, just that it was just, it, it could withstand a lot of changes and economic turmoil, which we've seen with COVID. We were investing really at the beginning when COVID hit. And the, the, I'm a podcast junkie. The more I was listening to it, it was like, okay, well, this is why multifamily is great. Like, this is why you should invest in multifamily, not retail space. Retail space got hit so hard. Airbnbs got hard. And not that we wouldn't consider those strategies in the future. I mean, there's a lot of, of growth and opportunities in those strategies as well. But multifamily was you know, relatable to the single family homes that we had. We were used to having a tenant in place that was paying monthly, a property management team, um, so those similarities helped. And just, we felt that, that there was a lot of, um, greater, less risk with greater returns. Right. Right. And you mentioned before too, to get yourself geared up for single family investing, you were doing a lot of podcasts, you read some yeah. books, I think you mentioned, mm -hmm. and then you, you finally put, you know, the knowledge to work. You got the experience from that. What was the, the knowledge and the education like ramping up from the smaller, single families in townhouses to, all right, now it's syndication level. We're using, you know, what, what kind of resources did you use to learn about that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different people in different fields. So we were kind of going um, backing on people who were out there doing it well, we wanted to learn from them. And that's something I've used even in my professional career, getting to a place where you want to be. It's great to team up with the people that are already there and pick their brain, you know, copy what they're doing. And to an extent, just kind of learn from how they've built up their, their space in that, in that arena and just kind of go from there. So um, with multifamily, it was a, a bit of a shift. So we started looking at the people that were doing it big in multifamily and big names out there. And we looked at their books and we looked at people who were syndicating and wrote books on that. And then um, the multifamily podcasts that were specifically um, talking to and catering to people getting into multifamily. And from there, we just a lot of the, I mean, the people who are people in real estate are so juiced off of real estate. They love sharing what they're doing. <laughs> they love sharing tips and tricks. And so it, once we found those people, it was easy to grasp onto what they were doing and what, how we could implement that into our own business. Right. No, that that's fantastic. And I love the point that you mentioned with, you found people who were doing it and that were big in the space because real estate is not a new concept in the, in, in, in the world, you know, anywhere. So it's super key in real estate, especially, but really in any business, a lot of things aren't brand new and there's no reason to completely reinvent the wheel when there's people yeah. out there, there's books out there that you can learn from and save money, time, and all those things that they messed up on. You can kind of make sure you, you don't do it or, or limit those at least. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're at the point where you're really educating yourself about 
the larger stuff. You're surrounding yourself with the right people. Now kind of walk us through the first deal, the first syndication that you actually did. And, yeah. and I'm sure that was a bunch of a bunch of properties you're looking at. It wasn't just, I read some books and then, you know, bought this property. So if you can kind of walk us through a little bit of the process. Yes. Um, so similar to single family in that you, you want to know what market you want to invest in and why. So you need to have a strong understanding of the market, population growth, um, job growth, different trends, um, build outs, just, you want to know your market. So we felt, we found a couple different markets, Atlanta being one of them. Um, we were looking in, uh, North Carolina, Reno, New Mexico, and just building relationships with brokers so we could start getting the deals. All those, there's a lot of different um, places online where you can look and find deals. Um, it's good to have that relationship with the broker because it opens you up to opportunities to get the off-market deals. Right. Um, we started talking to property managers over there. Um, our strategy was to get a strong value add deal, either with um, different upside through increasing rents, um, implementing new expense control. Um, just we made that very clear to our broker and we were very specific on how many units we were looking on, depending on the market, um, what what price point we were looking at, again, dependent on the market. So we had a, a criteria listed out on each market we were investing in, in units, um, kind of area, like different sub-markets of that area, um, and price point. And that, that was huge. And although it may have decreased the amount of deals that were getting sent to us by our brokers by being very specific on what we wanted. It was important for us because then by the time we got a deal across our desk, we were able to act on it pretty immediately because it met our criteria. And then building that relationship in the broker and giving them feedback as to why you didn't like a pro certain property if they sent you one, like, you know, this isn't going to work with our numbers. We can't get the returns for investors. Really something just short like that is good. And it still creates a um, mutually beneficial relationship in terms of opening up that communication and making it really clear that you still are interested because a lot of brokers are weary working with operators who haven't done their first syndication or who want to get in the space but haven't been there before because they think you know it could potentially be a waste of time there's a lot of people that are in this space that never pull the trigger and never take that first step of writing that LOI or submitting that offer. And we were very, we made it clear to the broker that we were serious about this and we were going to do a deal. So that helped. It, it allowed them to send us more deals. Um, and we created one with, the, we were looking up in Oregon just because I have family there. We weren't, I haven't heard of a lot of people investing in that market. I yeah. just, I, I never hear it on podcasts. I know it had rent control. It's labeled as a um, tenant friendly state, not a landlord friendly state. And so it kind of deterred a lot of people from there. But as we were looking in that market, we found some great value add deals that we were able to um, step in on. Gotcha. And those were all through broker relations that you found those deals? Yes. Yep. Um, one of them was through like a Marcus and Millichap website that we then reached out to the broker from there. And then we created a great relationship. So we, that one, we initially found the property first and then reached out to the broker, but then he was able to tell us what the strong value add component was. He knew the property very well and was able to give us price points on what the renovations would cost, which ended up being really on track. So just that credibility that he gave us by not over-exaggerating his numbers because some of the brokers will do that, but he yeah. had his numbers pretty on point, even when we did our due diligence and it helped us create that trust with him and felt like, okay, if he's going to be sending us deals moving forward, we can know from past experience that they're pretty on track. Right. Right. 
And you mentioned broker relationships, which is a huge part of the business. Can you, if you're talking to a newbie, how would, how would you get them into talking to brokers, meeting brokers and building that relationship and the credibility? Yes. So do your homework. I would say know your market, especially, well, if you're investing in state, that's going to be way easier for you or where you live. If you're investing out of state, know the market, because also brokers are a little weary of out of state investors. Um, they're doing it, but they know you're not, you know, physically there. So it might be a little, they might think you don't know exactly, but the amazing thing it's 2021 there's Google streets. You can literally hop on Google and walk the streets of the apartment complex you're looking at. So there's, you can go on Zillow and look at trends. I mean, there's really no excuse as to why you can't uh, look at a market. I mean, to this day, we've never been to Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, we really wanted to go this year, but COVID hit. And unfortunately we weren't able to go, but we know that that city so well, just because of all the amount of research we've done on it. So I would say know your market. And then again, be very specific on the deals you're looking for. If you're telling a broker, Hey, I want between 20 and 50 units. I want um, two to 3 million, um, this price per door, uh, this amount of value add, um, in this specific area, if you're specific on it, then a broker will take you more seriously because they're like, okay, they, they know what they're looking for this. It's not like your super broad blanket statement of, I'm just looking for a multifamily deal in this area. Okay? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And standing out and d- differentiating yourself and just being specific so that when a broker sees that perfect deal and they start to talk about what the deal actually consists of, you, you kind of become associated with that deal. And that's the broker turns to you because they know you're serious about it. And that's what you're in the market for. That's a yeah. great point. Mm-hmm. So back to what you're saying, you were looking in Oregon, Oregon or Oregon? Oregon. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking in Oregon and broker the broker was sending you some deals. Was that the first deal that you actually went through on and can you kind of talk through that process? So no, we were underwriting lots of deals and it was really, um, we started using a underwriting tool. Um, and, and if you've, if they're worth purchasing, we, we purchase one, um, we use the SDA through Michael Blanc. It's a syndicated deal analyzer. It's amazing. I heard just from different networking events that a lot of people were using it and liked it. So we, we ended up paying for that one and really got familiar with how it works. And we're, it takes a lot of practice to start going on those. So we were getting OMs sent to us from brokers merely just to practice using the SDA and putting those numbers in and looking what it looked like and see if it um, fit their pro forma, what they were saying and kind of moving those numbers around. So we were underwriting, I mean, maybe 10, 15 deals a week uh, wow. before we got that and maybe did about... 75 or so, um, before we made, we were still making offers. They were maybe not at full price. Um, and so they didn't necessarily stick, but with this, um, particular property in Oregon, we were able to submit for asking price and were able to close on it. Okay. Awesome. And that was your, that was the first one. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So can you kind of walk through the numbers a little bit, how many units it was, if you feel comfortable sharing the raise, because I know it was a syndication. Yep. Any, any specifics you're able to share? Yeah, totally. Um, it was uh, up in Oregon, a, a submarket up there on the coast. Um, it was price point of a million dollars, 12 units. Um, there was strong value add through market uh, increasing market rents. They were 25% below market. Uh, we also had the option to convert a storage unit into a studio space. 
Um, this was something that was in the OM sent to us from the broker. So we were aware of this, but like I said, he gave us the really on par numbers. So we were able to put that into the underwriting and it gave us very strong returns. Uh, we did plan to pull investors in this deal with us. Uh, we had a lot of conversations with friends and family. They knew we were investing in real estate. So they, a uh, few of them were interested in getting in. And like I mentioned before, syndications, I mean, I didn't know about these before I got investing in real estate, but there's such an amazing opportunity for people who don't necessarily want to do the nitty gritty day-to-day -day work of running a real estate property or apartment complex. It allows investors to jump in passively to these deals and still reap a lot of those benefits of real estate. I mean, there's amazing returns for passive investors through real estate and they don't have to do anything except give you the capital. And so that opportunity was so awesome. We wanted to provide that to our family and friends. Um, and so we were, we raised about two, 250 for that first deal through four investors um, and syndicated that out. We, we, be, it was a smaller property. We were depend, um, thinking about doing joint venture at that point. Um, just to kind of save on those PPM costs, those lawyer fees are $12,000, a little, wow. a little up than that, <laughs> but we really wanted to learn the ins and outs of syndicating. Um, that was a big difference between single family and multifamily. There's a lot of legal stuff that goes into it. And we wanted, we ended up getting a mentor and paying for a mentor and for, um, my husband and I, that was a huge, huge part of our ability to take action and have the confidence to take that first step because we had someone looking over our shoulders at all our underwriting, making sure that it was on par. Someone with 20 years experience in this space that was looking at our numbers and saying, yes, you're on track. You're doing it right. This is a great deal. Like, and giving us just tips and tricks on how to raise money, things to look out for in the due diligence phase. So investing in a mentor was huge for us. And, um, and we really wanted to do the syndication for that first deal. Yeah, th th that's great too, because, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, do I do a joint venture or syndication, but mm -hmm. it's, and, and, you know, at a, de at a deal, a million dollars, a million dollar deal, 12 units, typically a lot of people like to join, join venture on those types of deals, but yep. I think it's super awesome for you and your team that you built out to be able to just syndicate it, get that experience. And now you're able to. You, you are, you've been through the process and you're able to take that and go to larger units and, and feel more comfortable with it. So I think that's a, a good idea and um, unique that you did that. So it's super cool. Yeah. So you mentioned too, with the deal that there was value add there, were the mark, the rents could be raised 25%. So mm -hmm. did you have to do renovation on those to improve it and then fix it and then, and then raise it? Or was it already in pretty good condition and just miss a mismanaged property? Yeah, this property particular was really just mismanaged. There was an older gentleman in his 80s who owned this multifamily property as well as a few other ones in the area and kind of spread out throughout Oregon. He's just accumulated um, a few up there. He was um, long distance. He's based down in San Diego, so close to us. And he, this, this particular property kind of just sat on the back burner for him. Although he took care of a lot of the large um, capital expenditures, he wasn't letting it go in that respect, but in terms of management and raising rents, he had a property manager that lived in one of the units on the property, um, was, wasn't really motivated to raise rent. So that's why they really just got so far below. Although when things were going on in the units, um, and there was turnover, they were doing minor things of, of paint, replacing counter 
top. So a lot of the units, I mean, they're smaller units, but they had been renovated to an extent. I mean, not high end material at all. It's probably a class um, C plus D minus property, but um, they, it didn't leave us with a lot of um, renovation repair costs in in that respect. Okay. Got it. So what was the plan for raising the rents on all these units? So you knew they were below market 25%, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah. and you have 12 units. So yes. was it day one, you just said, all right, guys, rent's going up. Or can you, can you kind of talk through what actually, what the plan was? Yes. Yeah, so pretty much. And that's where it's, it's working with a great property manager. We interviewed a few different property managers in the area. We have a list of questions that we ask property managers. It's really important to get their experience in the area. If they've had experience um, increasing rents, if they've had experience overseeing renovations, um, the particular woman and group that we went with, she was born and raised in the area, has been managing properties in that area for 20 plus years. Um, when I called her about the specific building, she knew that rents were below market because she's seen them advertised. She knew what we would be able to increase them every year. And so when we do our underwriting and have this business plan of, okay, we want to increase rents 8.9% the first year, this percent the second year, we're vetting it with our property manager because she's going to be the one doing this work. So we're saying, (laughs) Hey, we want to raise rents this much the first year. Is this feasible? Like, do you think this will hold out? And she said, absolutely. It's a very strong rental market. There's people, um, a lot, a lot of people don't own there. They rent and there's limited inventory for them to rent. There's limited apartment buildings. So, um, we, she went out really day one that we got acquired the property and gave them 90 day notice to increase rents and every single one of them signed them. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Can you kind of catch us up to speed on where you're at with this particular property today? Yep. We are almost done renovating that uh, studio unit. It's probably going to be done this week. So then at that point, we'll get a renter in there and start increasing our NOI. Uh, we do underwrite all, all our underwriting for big deals very um, conservatively. For the, So for this one, we were e- still able to make our projections work by not including the rent from that studio unit for the first year. So we're already um, coming in above with that, which is awesome. We're super stoked about, we got it done way quicker than a year. And um, that's, that's where we're at with that. And then, like I said, she was able to raise rent. So in terms of our business strategy and what, what we're doing with that particular property, we're on par. Great. That's great to hear. And I like what you said too, that extra storage unit that you were going to turn into a studio. Mm -hmm. That was all gravy because although you knew you could do it, it was part of the business plan. It was really just icing on the cake because you knew the first 12 already established units were going to do the job. And then it's nice that you had that extra unit to kind of have that icing on the cake. Yes. I love, this is what I love about multifamily is you can play with the numbers so much and there's so many different opportunities to add value to a particular deal. And it really just gives you a lot of room to really create great returns for your investors. Yep. So as great as multifamily is syndications, let's talk about some challenges that you face along the way, whether it was from the very beginning with the single families all the way to your experience through syndications. What were some of your biggest challenges that you faced? 
I think one of our biggest challenges, myself and my husband, is trying to find the time to do it. We work full-time jobs. We have two young children at home. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old here. <laughs> so our our evenings and our weekends are spent with our daughters. And then during the week, we work full-time. So it was it for us, it was difficult to find the time to do this. But going back to making that really strong why of why we wanted to get into it. And it was to create a lot of time freedom with our daughters in the next five to 10 years of being able to not necessarily work full-time jobs if we didn't have to, and maybe do part-time or maybe per diem as a nurse and then work on real estate full-time was really our main goal with this. So it motivated us to, after we put the girls to bed, to not sit on the couch and watch Netflix, but to come in our office and run numbers and develop a business strategy and um, create uh, communications with investors and that sort of stuff. So um, finding the time was really our biggest hurdle. Yeah. And and that's, that's, that's the biggest thing. Everybody has the same amount of time. So that's one Mm -hmm. of the most scarce, that is the most scarce resource everybody has. So it's all about then leveraging other people's money as, as you do in a syndication, other people's time and energy, whether it's brokers or property managers. So you kind of nailed the nailed it on the head there with just scarcity of resources and, and leveraging leveraging it out so that, you know, you can kind of get the best of both worlds. Yes. I love how you said leveraging other people too, because we were very, I mean, in terms of like building a website and building a email campaign and building some of the videos and content that I have, we, I mean, I'm not very IT savvy. I can figure it out, but when it comes to coding and graphic design of a website, (laughs) I was trying to do this myself and quickly realized that I do not, (laughs) this is not for me. It would take me 10 times longer than it would take a professional to do it. So that was something that we outsourced and I hopped onto bigger pockets. I asked people what they were using to outsource things like this, different virtual assistants that people were using. And immediately I got tons of responses. I stumbled onto Fiverr. I use Fiverr for a lot of audits things that I need to be done. If I need changes to my website that I don't feel comfortable making, cause I feel like I might ruin it to be honest, <laughs> I'll hop on there and quickly tell someone what I want and then get it done within 24 to 48 hours. So, I mean, using things like that have been so valuable to me. Yeah, totally. And, and, and I I've had the same experience too. outsourcing the tasks that, you know, you could do, you could, you could property manage, you could build a website, you yeah. could do all these things but it's just not worth your time when you, when your, your time is better spent doing other things. So exactly. That's great. So now we're going to move on to the next section of our show, which is the big four where we ask all of our guests, the same four questions. So Savannah, number one, what's your number one habit for success? Goal setting. I would say definitely this and even everything I've achieved professionally and even with relation. I mean, I sit down at the beginning of the year and have for like 10 years. This is something my dad's always instilled with me when I graduated from college of getting categories, you know, relationship, spiritual, career, financial, and putting the family, putting all your goals out there and in specific categories, what you want to achieve either over the next 10 years, five years, one year, what you need to be doing on a weekly and a daily basis to reach those goals. And it's provided so much opportunity with my husband and I, it really gives us a specific map of what we need to do to make our, our conquer our goals. And I think 
the biggest challenge a lot of people face is taking that first step or taking those small steps every day. And when you're setting goals and getting really specific about what you want to achieve and creating a map, it gives you, okay, well, like, this is what I need to be doing every day to make that happen. Like if I want to get a multifamily deal, I need to be underwriting this many properties in a week. And I need to be talking to this many brokers and I need to be talking to this many investors on a weekly, monthly basis in order to raise the capital, to find the deals, to um, get their construction renovation done. So just getting specific on that makes it easy to see what steps you need to take next. Yeah, totally great habit. And and thanks for, thanks for sharing that. So number two, limiting beliefs are thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our potential. What is one limiting belief that you were able to crush and how did that impact your life? I learned this very early on that, um, I felt like I didn't belong in the space and I felt like there was only one way to do it. And so I, I joined a mastermind group pretty early on. I was on there with a, maybe five, 10, 10 people or so. And I was sharing with them that I was buying these new town, new build townhomes over across the country. I was super stoked about them. And there was a naysayer on the call that was saying, Oh, these, these deals never work. I would be careful. You need to get someone to drive by these. They probably aren't even building them this. They're never going to cash flow. This is a horrible investment. And it made me feel semi, I was semi new in the space and it made me feel like this guy had years of experience. I'm like, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Like I, I I felt so insecure in that moment and it took me stepping away and talking to my husband and talking to some other people of like, there's not one way to do things. And, and so many people are doing all different types of things to make real estate work. There's different strategies you can do. I mean, there's people who say you can't invest in California. And I know that there's guys down here in LA that are crushing it through the cash for keys method, you know, paying people to move out and killing it and multifamily here in Los Angeles. And there's a lot of people who say you can't do it. And even with Oregon and the rent control and my husband and I navigated around that. So I think there's, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that too, because a lot of the times you hear a lot of people talk about it's this way, or, you know, you're pretty much, you, you, you can't make any money. So mm-hmm. I, I love that you mentioned that too. And specific examples that you've done, Oregon, that's one place that a lot of people say, you can't invest there. You can't make money there. They have rent control, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. Same thing with California. Mm-hmm. And I, I've all, I will, same thing with the townhouses and the single family space. You hear it a lot where people talk about, you can't make money that way. It's not a good investment. And there are, there's, there's pros and cons to every different investment. So mm-hmm. it's just important to keep that in mind and figure out what fits your goals because it's different for every single person. Yeah. And it's important to surround yourself with those people who are on the same wa- wavelength as you yeah. and who are striving for the same goals. And how you said too, you know, you were surrounding yourself with, with one group of people and you, you were, you're, you're crushing it with the townhouses and the smaller stuff. And then you went on and you're probably surrounding yourself with a little bit different people yeah. to handle the larger stuff and the syndication. So love, love that you brought that point up. So number three, what advice would you give to someone who is looking to invest in real estate for their first time? 
I would say get out there and start networking. I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but if you're looking to get in a specific strategy, go out on Instagram or bigger pockets or Facebook and find the people that are doing it. If it's a specific market, if you want to flip houses in Georgia, go over on those Facebook groups and find people who are flipping houses in Georgia and connect with them. Um, if, if, if you want to do Airbnbs over in SoCal, I mean, there's a lot of people doing that. You can find them and they're pretty out there and want to share what they're doing. So I would say network. I mean, your network really is your net worth in terms of getting things done. And, um, it, you can piggyback off what people are doing and learn from their mistakes and, and see kind of, I mean, these people will lay out a blueprint of what you need to do to get it done in that specific niche. So if you're just getting started with that, I I would say educate yourself on the different niches and then find out there's someone who's doing it. Great. Great point. And number four, what is your favorite real estate business or personal development related book? I love Grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, it's one of my all-time favorite books. I, I was going through some challenging times when I first graduated from college and just had some lows in my life and a lot of challenges that I had to kind of push through. And I listened to that book on audio. I was driving up to Oregon in my parents' house from Sacramento one, one day, and I listened to the whole book and I just, it flipped a switch in my life. I have I have always had the entrepreneurial spirit, but this book just really showed me, I mean, the grit that it takes to move through challenging circumstances and really, I mean, through life, it's, it's provided so much guidance in my day to day. Wow. I'm, I'm glad that book has made such a big impact on you. And it's a book that I've heard of, haven't read yet. It's mm-hmm. actually right now I have a fancy computer stand that my, my laptop's sitting on and my fancy stand is a, a pile of books and one of them on the bottom is grit angela duckworth so i, I have <laughs> I the book that. and i just i need to i need to get to it there's <sighs> when, when you start talking to people in the real estate space or really any industry and people are flying around book recommendations podcast recommendations so i have a list of books that i still need yeah. to get to grit being one of them and i definitely need to add that one to the top of the list so thank you for sharing that Yeah. A tip is if you're not a big reader and can't find the time to sit down, get the audio book version and listen to it on your commute. Or if you're going on a trip somewhere, I always listen to it books when I'm traveling. It's really my main time when I'm I'm doing that and commuting. It's key. Awesome. Yeah. Great, great tip there. So Savannah, where can the listeners get a hold of you? The Net Worth Nurse. You can find me under the Net Worth Nurse on all social media handles. So that's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. You can find me under the Net Worth Nurse. That's also the name of my website. My email is Savannah at the NetworthNurse.com. I love connecting with people. Um, it, I love talking real estate. So if you're even remotely interested in what I'm saying or what I'm doing, reach out to me. I'd love to connect. Fantastic. Yeah. And Savannah, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Really appreciate you sharing the highs and the lows, you know, everything about your journey from starting out to now crushing it in the syndication and the multifamily space. So thank you again, the net worth nurse, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the real estate investing made simple podcast for more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.